as we continue. And today we've got good news. Absolutely good news. Great news actually. I love Revelation chapter 19. Who knows what happens in Revelation chapter 19? Who knows? The Lord's coming. Amen. The Lord's coming to set up His kingdom on this earth. It's not the rapture. It's the second coming. Uh, people ask, you know, today they ask, how will it all end? Have you heard those questions? How will all of this come to an end? People ask that. The historians is going and they look into history. And they look and see how and what they can find out of history to establish the future. And maybe we can learn from the past and we can see how the past happened and then predict how the future might play off. They look at civilizations. They dig them up. They look how they lived and what they've done. And so they try to find an answer how, how the future will end up. How will it all come to an end? Uh, philosophers this morning look at the meaning for life. What is the meaning for life? They ask all these questions. They go around and they sit in circles and they talk about things that people think about. Trying to make out what man is made of. Uh, they sidestep the Bible, the Word of God, which could give them those answers in quick, quick succession. Uh, and then you get astronomers. What are they doing? They look into the stars and they gaze at the stars, astronomers. And they see if there could be any signs in the stars. And it's amazing how many, how many people these days are looking at stars and say that something's going to happen. I don't want to count it out. Because I, I know too little about it. If you ask me about stars and all of these things happening in the stars and formats and planets and all of these things, I haven't got a degree in that. In fact, I haven't got a degree in teaching the Word of God. But I know this. That for so many years that I've studied the Word of God, that's where I find the answers. So astronomers is looking into the stars and they, they ask the question, how is this all going to come to an end? How is all of this going to wind up? Wind up. And then you get people, these fortune tellers. You, you know about them? They come and they look in your hand and they try to tell you how tomorrow is going to work out for you. And... And they look at all of all of these funny stuff and, and they predict the future. They say, this is how it's going to end. Nostradamus. Who knows about Nostradamus? And you hear people who read the books of Nostradamus and they go, oh, he must be from God. And what they don't realize from Nostradamus is he locked himself, he was a madman, locked himself into a room with the Bible and with other books as well. And it was just insanities that came out. So people want to find out what's going to happen. But then we have the prophetic Word of God. We've got the prophetic Word of God. And that is, for me, more secure this morning than anybody else. If you follow prophecy in the Word of God, you are going to know what's going to happen in the future. And also you're going to know how all of these things is going to wind up and come to an end. It is a secure Word. It is a wonderful word. Listen, don't take my word for it. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. He writes this down. He says, For we did not follow cunning 
devised fables. You see that? Cunning devised fables. I see so many cunning devised fables these days under the banner of Christianity. So much of it. In fact, it is too much of it. I've told myself I want to start listening less to them because I get a little bit upset, I must admit. I get upset how these people can stand there with the cunning devised fables and they captivate audiences of people. It amazes me absolutely how intelligent people could listen to this and could say, wow, it makes sense. Because it doesn't. And the only reason it makes sense is because they do not follow the Word of God. Friend, if you've got the Word of God embedded in your heart, these fables will stand out like a sore thumb. You will see it for what it is. It is fables. Peter writes this down. He says, we did not follow that. He says, when we made known to you the power, the dunamis, and the coming of our Lord Jesus. These apostles made it known. The prophets of the Old Testament made it known how these things is going to end up. They made it known how Jesus Christ is going to come into the world. And this is important for us to realize. It's important for us to see it for what it is. So, in verse 19 he says, Christ, but we were witnesses of His majesty. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So what is he saying here? He says to us that they were eyewitnesses of the majesty, which is Jesus Christ. He starts that verse with that, and he says that the prophetic word has confirmed his coming like what? Like a light that shines into a dark place. When Oscar was praying this morning, he was praying about wars that's coming. It's all around us. Friend, if you don't see that right now, the world is a dark place right now. Crime is out of hands. And it's not only crime, it's how they commit these crimes these days. It is terrible. Rape cases over the world is out of hand. It's not only how they do it, it is, it is in fact how they do it now. It's terrible murders and every single thing. It's the attack of the left on society. It's the attack of the left on families. It's the attack on men. It's the attack, attack on women. It's the attack on our children. It's a dark world we are living in. And now the question is, how do we bring, or how do we raise, or how do we live, or how do we make sense out of this world if we live in the midst of that? There's only one way, and it's the true light, Jesus Christ. And here, I want to bring it back to the word of prophecy. The prophetic word. I don't know if you've realized it, that the Word of God is the prophetic Word. There's so many prophecies in here. It is the, the owner's manual of your life. And this is the important part of that. 
So when we're going to look in Revelation chapter 19, which I find after all of these weeks of terrible things that's going to happen into the world, there is a light that shines out now. Jesus Christ comes and He settles the score on this earth. And we want to follow that. We don't want to follow what the philosophers say, or the historians say, or the astronomers say. I want to say, friends, if they tell you, look up into the stars, glide with your eyes down to the Word of God, you'll do better. So let's continue and see the praise in heaven. In fact, I believe the first few verses in chapter 19 actually belongs to chapter 18. Because it settles that part of great Babylon. In Revelation chapter 19 verse 1 he says, After these things I've heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. And they were saying, Alleluia. Not Hallelujah, Alleluia. And I'll tell you why it's spelled like that. It says salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Can you shout hallelujah? Can you shout amen to that? Amen means I agree with what I hear. I want to say amen. You know what friends? Glory, honor and power only belong to one and that is the Lord our God. He says in verse 2, For true and righteous are his judgments what are they true and righteous we are serving a holy god but know this also we are also serving a true god there's no fakeness in him he's not a fable he's the true god he's not allah he's elohim He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you know what I want to say again? To Him, to Him, listen to me, to Him alone belongs the glory and the honor and the power. To Him alone. On His level where He is, there ain't nobody else. There's no other gods. There's only one God, it's Him. And He's true, but He's also righteous. He's righteous. And you know, when He sits on that seat of truth and righteousness, know this for sure today, that His judgments will come from that seat. So if we are living in a false world today, if we are living in an unrighteous world today, know this, that the judgments are coming from a seat, listen to this, a seat of righteousness, a seat of truth. There's no darkness in God, the Bible says. He's light. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. We are living in a corrupted world, the Bible says. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Uh, and, and look, God is a meticulous counter. He knows his numbers. There's no mathematician in this whole world who will outnumber God. He knows your life. Listen, listen to me, friend. He knows your life to the second, to the millisecond, to the Google second that you are living. He knows you. And, and this is so powerful for me that in His register to this great harlot, not one, not one of those who were killed by her or by the system that we've seen over the last two weeks, not one of them will not be avenged by God. That's the righteous God we serve. It will be avenged on her, the blood of His servants shed by her. And in verse 3, He says, Again they said, Alleluia! Alleluia! 
Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen. That means we all agree. Alleluia. Alleluia. And then in verse 5, a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. Hallelujah. Why didn't he spell it like we spell it H? Hallelujah. Because, friends, these words, Hallelujah, is taken directly out of the Hebrew in the Old Testament. In fact, it is used here five times. Five times it's used here, and uh, four times, I beg your pardon, four times, and it's the only time in the New Testament that you see the word Hallelujah. It is as if this whole crescendo is building up to this point, to this point where the true and the righteous judgment of God is taking place. And now the praise in heaven burst out with that voice. Hallelujah! Amen. Oh, I don't think we can anticipate sitting here today what that means, what they saw, and what they did. I think it's powerful. I think it's wonderful. I think it's magnificent. And that word which only belongs to God, I think it's awesome. Are you getting excited about this? Well, I don't think so. Because these people have got reason to jump up and down and shout, Hallelujah! Like in the Old Testament in the Psalms, it's written there. You see, He is a true God. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. So when He says, Amen, we all together here, Agree with praising the Lord. Now I wonder if you can say with me hallelujah all together. I'm going to count it down and let's see if we can do it. Three, two, one. Hallelujah! hallelujah! Praise God. I think that's the loudest this place has heard the word hallelujah. You know what, Janelle? I reckon if this true full effect of this multitude shouting it in this place, I think this place will fall apart. Through the power of God. Amen. Let the world bring what it brings, friends. We stand in the power of God. And now we see in verse 6, and he says, And I heard as, it, as if it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of a mighty thundering, saying, Listen, what did they say? Look, it's a great multitude. Don't miss these words. The sound of many waters. Have you stood next to a waterfall where, I don't know, millions of liters of water drops down from 30, 40 feet? Have you stood there? Have you, some of you? Have you stood there? Have you heard the sound of a mighty rushing waters coming over and just falling and crushing on the rocks down there? Listen, I don't think we can anticipate it is much more, more than that. Because he says, I've heard the sound of many waters and the sound of a mighty thunderings. Have you been there when the thundering strikes? When people creep in and they're so afraid for the power of God? This, this is it. He explains it to us wonderful there. And they shout one thing. What is that? Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Why didn't he say the omnipresent God reigns? Why did he use the word omnipotent? Do you know what it means? Do you know what it means when he says, 
For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. That is the almighty for God. That's the word omnipotent. Friends, I'm not afraid of what this world is bringing because I've read the book and we are at the end here. And it says here at the end of the book, the most important part of it, it says that the omnipotent reigns. Praise God. He, he, look, this, the, it, it, it's, a no, it's a no-brainer that there's one side of contest here. God reigns. My prayer this morning and my hope is that it reigns in your heart. Verse 7 says, let us be glad and rejoice. We've got a song like that. Let us be glad. Yes. And rejoice. And give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed with fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Have you noticed that he said that the marriage Lamb has come, and then he mentions the, the word his wife? Have you noticed that? So what are we as the church? We are his bride, aren't we? The Bible talks about his bride. So why does he talk about his wife here? Because friends, you need to understand this in the Old Testament. That Israel was called his wife. We are called his bride. So let's have a look at that. In his bride, he says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2, he says, for I am jealous. This is Paul writing to them. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband. This is talks to the church now that I may present you as a chaste version to Christ. He's talking about the church here. And if you read in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25, and you read that passage there, it talks about us, the church, as the bride of Christ. But then he mentions his wife here. So if you look in the Old Testament, the word wife is associated with Israel. So there's two concepts here. We are grafted into Israel. We are grafted into the wife. But we as the church, today is the bride of Christ. We are getting ready to be betrothed. We are betrothed, but we're getting ready to go to this wedding feast as the bride. As the bride. Hosea chapter 2 verse 19, he says, I will betroth you. And remember in the Old Testament, here he talks to whom? He talks about Israel, okay? This is Israel in the Old Testament. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in the righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Was Israel faithful to God? Oh no. Oh no. What did, what did, what did that wife do? She fornicated. After false gods. The Bible is rife about it in the Old Testament. How Israel consistently went after false gods. That wife was unfaithful. But you know what? The faithfulness of God stands forever. Forever. Friend, you and I are unfaithful. But you know what stands faithful forever? The faithfulness of God. 
In Isaiah chapter 54 verse 5, he says, For your maker is your husband. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Israel here. He says, Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. The Bible is so wonderful, friends. So he talks about that. Now, he says that his wife has made herself ready. Ready for what? He's made herself ready for this wedding feast where we're going to be betrothed as the church, as the bride of Christ to Christ, and we become one with Him. Now, look at this now. He says in verse 8, And to her it was granted to be arrayed with fine linen, clean and bright. What is that? It says it right there. It is the righteous acts of the saints. How wonderful is it, dear friend, that if you do a righteous act as a saint, you know what it becomes? It becomes the fine linen of the bride. Have you thought about that in that way? Every righteous act that you do as the child of God becomes that fine linen. Otherwise, I'm reading it wrong. But it's written right there for us. Now look at verse 10. He says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John. And he fell at the feet of the angel. And this is critically important for us to understand, friends, that we are not here to worship angels. You find so many, it creeps into churches. People want to worship angels. In fact, it's not a new thing. If you go back into the book of Galatians, you will see that Paul warns them about what? About going back under the law. But also, back in that days, there were a group of people coming into the churches and said, whoa, angels are holy beings and they need to be worshipped. And people started worshipping angels. Here is a a classic example for us that it should not happen. He says it right there. He fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, this is now the angel, he said, see that you do not do that! Exclamation mark. It's not, oh no, no, come on John, come, no, no, no. No, no, he was so clear about that, he was not going to fall for the temptation or for the sin that Lucifer had. Lucifer wants people to fall before him. But he's only an angel. He's only an angel, Lucifer. He's not a god. He says, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And friends, I can now preach a sermon on the spirit of prophecy. These people who are self-proclaimed prophets who says that God give them these personal words, they are lying. Every single one of them, I don't know what, care what their names is. If they say that, you know, I was there and Jesus came into my inner room and He gave me a, 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 a private word for the church. Look, I've got no doubt in my mind that He communicated with us through His word. And He speak to us, yes, through His word. But if they come and say, hey, hey, you know, just come over here. God gave me a word for you. Be careful. <laughs> you know what I want to say? Run away. <laughs> or say, just can you hold that word? I'll just go and gr- call two or three uh, brothers to come and listen to the word. Oh, no, 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 it's not. No, no, it's only for you personal. No, no, they, sh- they can't hear it. Wait a minute. Are we walking now like cockroaches in the dark? God is not a cockroach, friend. And I say that with a lot of reference and, and respect. No, God is the God of light. Everything should be in the light. 
Maybe that means something for somebody. I don't know why I said that. Let's look at verse 11. He says it right here. And this is the wonderful part of it now. He says in verse 11, Now I saw heaven open. I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. Can you imagine what he saw? Heaven is open. And there comes a white horse. Oh, Yahweh can hear the call from the prophets of the Old Testament right now. Just by reading that one line. Men, like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 64, when he cried out, he says, Oh, that you would rent the heavens. This is Isaiah in the Old Testament. He says, Lord, that you would rent. Do you know what rent means? Tear it open. Hear. Fast forward into Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. John stands there and it is as if he hears back. Listen, this is me thinking. It's as if he hears back in his ears, in his back of his mind, how Joshua, or how Isaiah cried out here and say, Oh, that you would rent the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Are they trembling now? Are they? No, they're not. They are mocking God now. They are poking at God now. They are holding the fist at God now. And here the prophet in the Old Testament says, Oh, that you may rent the heavens. I think Isaiah is standing in heaven at this point in time and he thinks back about these words which he spoke. Why? Why rent the heavens so that you may come? That the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things for which we did not look. You came down. The mountains shook at your presence. Oh, how I hear the voice and the words of the prophets like Zechariah chapter 14 verse 3 when he says, Then the Lord God will go forth and fight against those nations. Two prophets say the same thing. So that they will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand where? On the Mount of Olives. Praise the Lord. His feet will come. Look at this. Isaiah prophesied about the terrible, you know, when he comes to have this war against them, and Zechariah says the same thing. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem, where? On the east. The east. The Muslims went and they put a graveyard in front of the eastern gate. The Bible says he's going to walk through the eastern gate into Jerusalem. Do they know the God I serve? He's not afraid of death. Man, he's got the keys of death. No graveyard is going to keep him out. And those hinges of those gates are so corroded and rusted together. But man, if he's going to come, I don't know what it's going to be, where the world's going to come from, but that gate's just going to open up. And he's going to walk in there as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. He says from the east, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. Wow, that's a massive earthquake. 
We've read about earthquakes in Revelation. We read in Isaiah, he says that the mountains will shook at your presence. You see the last verse there. And now in Zechariah, he says how it's going to happen. He says the one is going to move towards the north and one to the south. And it's going to open up a massive valley there. Things that you and I can't imagine. Revelation 19 verse 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold the white horse. Is this a wild horse running around? Is this an untamed horse that's running around? No, no. God is perfectly in control of the whole situation. He says there, And, oh, and he who sat on him was called faithful and truth. Faithful and truth. And the righteous he judges and makes war. <clears throat> his eyes were like the flame of fire and his head were like many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. You see his name there, faithful and true. This is a glorious title that shows Jesus is the keeper of his promises. He's not trying to be true. That's his nature. God is truth. In fact, there's three volumes of truth the New Testament talks about. The Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And the, 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 the Word, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's His nature, it's who He is, but it's not only that, He's faithful. We are serving a faithful God. Look, it's not something that you tick in and you say it's one of His attributes. No, He is faithful in Himself. It's His characteristic. You are serving a faithful God this morning. And this is His title that shows Him. But that also includes His judgments. Because what's He coming to do now? He's coming back to judge. He's true. And I want you to see this. He says on his head now there's many crowns. The last time when most of these people would have seen him, that we see in the Bible, he had one crown on his head. What crown was that? A crown of thorns. A crown of thorns. They said, put it on his head. But here, he talks about crowns. The word here in Greek is diadems. Diadems. It's not the crown that he had when he was hanging on the cross. No, a, di a diadem is a crown of royalty and authority. He's coming back, authority and royalty. <clears throat> now I want you to notice in verse 13, he says he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. I've had a man once in New Zealand come to me and says, man, I am so excited, I can't wait for this battle that's coming. He says, they're going to give me a sword. And man, we're going to fight. We're in the army of God and we're going to fight the armies with, with Jesus. He's going to be our general and we're going to follow him. I want to suggest that that man don't know his Bible. He's deceived or he's just plainly wrong. Because the year, whose who's clothes is dipped in blood? Jesus. And how did the other look? White and clean. Friend, you and I are going to come back. Yes, we're going to be with Him. But we are only going to come back to see how He's judging the world. It ain't your fight. It's not your war. Mankind didn't sin against you. They sin against God. 
Judgment is not coming from you, it's coming from God. And we need to take a lesson out of that. Because we are living in a day and age where people do us wrong. Yes? Or are you living in a bubble? Let's pop the bubble this morning. Okay? Where's Andre? He missed that one. <laughs> We're not living. People do you wrong. But friends, who, who are you? Are you God to hold it against them? Are you? This is why the Bible teaches forgiveness. Forgiveness. Man, I've done so many people wrong in my life and I pray the Lord that he, he put forgiveness in their hearts towards me. As much, listen, listen, as much as I must forgive others. It works both ways. And you know what forgiveness is? Let me just throw this in there. If you forgive somebody, it's as if it's never happened before. Never. You say, where is the proof of that? It's in God. God hasn't got a little black book in his back pocket. And he goes, no, I'll forgive you all your sins. And then one day you do something where I says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can remember you did that something there back in that day. Let me just find the date. It was the 26th of June, 1972. Whoa. How am I now? How old was I then? I thought that, no, no, God, you know, when he forgives, it never happened. You know, it's in the sea of forgetfulness. And that is what forgiveness is all about. And here, you, you know, this is what it's all about. We, we sin against God. Yes, there's restitution that takes place amongst people. But we sin against God and judgment comes from God. Now let's continue on with verse 15. He says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he will strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God, and he has on his rope and in his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I know I've shaken, and look at Andre, he's slipping right through that. Amen. He's learned. <laughs> you know, in my Bible, that's in capital letters. Is it in your Bible in capital letters? And I've learned in business. You know, I'm a businessman, and if you type an email to somebody, and you type it in capital letters, what do they say? Is that etiquette? No, it's not. What does it mean? It means you are shouting. So let me give you a quick example. You say, I want you to clean the room. You, you go away and you type there. You start with a capital letter, everything else is in small. I want you to clean the room. Somebody reads that, they go, yeah, yeah, that's fine, I want you to clean the room. But if I want to make a point, then I say, I, capital letter small, this is just a little bit of place, hang in there, I'm getting to a point, okay? I, capital letter small, and they say, I want, capital letters, W-A-N-T, want you to clean capital letters, the room. So it means... The first one I said, I want you to clean the room. The second one I say, oh, I want you to clean the room. Is that more direct? Here, it's more direct for me when it's in capital letters. It's more important for me. It's as if it's a shout out. But listen, how is he going to fight his people? Is it as if Jesus is going to come out and he's going to have a sword and fight and go through the armies and fight them in like a battle? Like No. It says out of his mouth, out of his mouth comes a sword. What is that sword? What is that sword? Come on, you know what it is. It's the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, we, we, we get this. He says it right there. For the word of God is living and is powerful 
And he's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the division in soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of heart. Friends, do you know what you hold in your hands? Do you know how powerful this is? Just read that. This, the Word of God. He talks about the Word. We hold the Word of God in our hands. My prayer is that the Word of God is held in your heart so that you can start speaking it. Now, before you go there, I'm not a faith preacher, okay? Claim it in name, name it and claim it preacher. That's not what it is. But it says it there, the Word of God is living. First of all, it says this is alive. It's living and powerful. This is powerful. Then he says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. This is sharper than a two-edged sword. And then he says, piercing between the soul and spirit. I've seen it with my own eyes, preaching the word of God, and it cuts between people, soul and spirit. And they realize I'm a rotten sinner. Did I convince them? No. Look, honestly, I'm not here to preach to people to convince them they are sinners. I don't have to. They know it themselves. At one stage in your life, you know you're a rotten sinner. Your conviction of your mind, even the worst sinner, the conviction of his mind, gets him to a point where he, he realizes, I'm a rotten sinner. I hear to testimony after testimony, and I say, I came to a point and I felt, geez, you know what, I'm just a rotten sinner. I'm a rotten man. I need to change. Who's doing the conviction? And then they hear the word of God. And you know what the word is? It's like a, it's like a, a sharp sword and cuts between the two, and I realize. So wonderful. And then he says, and joints and marrow at the center of the thoughts and the intents of heart. This is what Christ is going to use. I want you to quickly look here one more thing. He says, in him, he says, it was in the wine press of fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. Where did we get this? We see this. He's dipped in blood. You see that? That is out of the wine press of fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. Let's finish off. Says in verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. How bright must this angel be? Have you looked into the sun with your naked eyes? You go, Woo! Can you see? This angel was standing in the sun, and he was so bright, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, All the birds that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather together the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings. Listen to this now kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men the flesh of horses and the horses who, uh, and those who sit on them and the flesh of all people free slaves both small and great this is a terrible feast blood is going to run like a river and i saw the beast and the king of the earth and the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse against his army can you think that people think actually think they can take on god and I thought about this. I thought, how would people in their mind fight a God who they can't see? And I'll tell you what I've come across. And I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But these days, you get so many people who talk about alien invasion. Alien invasion. There's aliens out there. There's aliens. They're coming from planet X and planet Z and planet whatever. It's all over. And it's going to, the drum beats is going to get louder and louder and louder. They even say now, aliens are walking amongst us. These lizard tongues amongst us. Remember, can I go back to the first verse, fables? You remember that verse that Peter talked about, fables? But listen, they have to sell something to the people that they think they're going to fight this heavenly force. 
So they are now talking about an alien invasion. Now we're going to get the world ready. Man, we have to have Independence, Independence Day for the world. And this is how they will sell the whole thing to people and think there's going to be aliens coming with their ships. And in fact, who is coming, friends? It's the rider on the white horse and they've got no chance. None at all. It's written there again. We see who the winner is. And it says it's going to be so terrible. Think about billions of people. The birds is going to eat their flesh. It says it there five times that they're going to eat the flesh. They're going to eat it from the kings, the captains, the mighty men. All of these is going to be eaten up. They have to sell something to get the world to believe in that. Aliens are coming to a city near you. Are you ready? Are you ready to give your heart and your life to Uncle Sam? I won't go there. Verse 20, and it says, Then the beast was captured. See, I told you. This is the end. We know who's winning. The beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. He's captured. And with him the false prophet, who worked signs in, the, in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two... What happened to them? They were paraded through the streets as kings and wow, they are victorious. No, no, no. They've got a different location they're going. They, these two were cast alive into the lake of burning with brimstone, the lake of fire. Now there's people who say it's only an affectment of your imagination. There's no such place. Oh, they wait a rude awakening for those who say that. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceedeth from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Terrible, isn't it? Where are you and I going to be? We are going to be witnessing to this. Who's going to have the fight? It's him. And his word is so powerful. Can I end today by telling you how powerful his word is? That one day when there was darkness upon the face of the earth, he said, let there be light. And there was light. And then he said, let the firmament pull away. So there was heaven and earth. He said it with his words, friends. He created it with his words. He spoke it into existence. Everything you see around us is spoken into existence. Now, do you want to tell me they want to get this hydrogen collider? Have you heard about that, somebody? We are so clever, man. We're going to build this thing for these aliens who's going to come. And we're going to make the biggest cannons and bombs and everything. We're going to shoot them out of the sky. And here comes... It, it, look, I said it before and I'm saying it again. There is no contest here. It is actually, if you stand back, you would say it's unfair. But it is fair. Because He will judge everyone in righteousness. Praise the Lord, friends. He's coming back again. For me, I'm waiting for the return of the rapture. This is the second coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. It is so powerful, as we've heard in Hebrews chapter 4, Lord, it's living and it's powerful. We thank you this morning, Father. I want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of speaking your word, Lord. It is a privilege for me. It's not a right. I can't earn it, Father. I can't deserve it, Lord. It's only a privilege for me to stand here and to put voice 
to your word, your written word. And thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit changes it into Rima for us. And we worship and praise you for that in Jesus' name.